Welcome back to Disney Dependent. I'm Sarah Chilcott. And I am Governor Roy Newsom. Governor Newsom. Why? Why do you do it? We'll never know. Because we're in the state of California. He's the governor. You have a poster behind you that says Roy Lichtenstein. <laughs> yeah, I should have gone That's with her. That's you should have gone with. Girl, her. girl with hair ribbon. Yeah, it's her. Well, that's the name of the artist. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about. The... It says girl with hair ribbon, 1965. That's the name of the, the, the art. art. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah I, wish, yeah, I wish we could show the audience <laughs> our place, but this is an audio-based show. So you'll never see it. But it's cute, and we're really happy to be here, and we're here for the entire month of April, and we're, yeah, we're having fun. Yeah, James and Ash drove to L.A., and no. I have not talked to them since they left, so you guys get to hear with me in real time. How did that go? Our series of unfortunate events. <laughs> yeah, the drive was okay. The The first day was, was pretty stressful. The, the two girl cats were just insane. Like they just mm. would not stop trying to get up on the dashboard, trying to get under my feet while driving. So you had them free roaming in the car. We had to because if we locked them in the we we well then we did have to lock them in their uh, carriers to keep them from moving around. But Una especially was she was trying to get out so bad, Sarah, that she she first like, no 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 first okay, first she. Um, exploded out of her carrier. We had to, I threw it away. Yeah. She broke out. She oh. busted it open. It was like a open. soft carrier, to be fair. Yeah. But she, she ripped She ripped right through it. <laughs> poked her little head out. So <laughs> That's my girl. Somewhere around Eugene, I think, we had to go pick up a new carrier. Yep. Oh, that's not very far. No. You didn't make it very far. No. Um, and so we had to get a hard case one. We did that, locked her into that. And she proceeds to basically like pull all of her nails out of her her paws. Yeah, she's oh, such no. a psycho. Yeah. She's mauling herself and bleeding everywhere. Mm -hmm. Bad, it, like bad, that bad, bad. Sucks. And keep in mind, we drugged them too, so they're yeah. like gamma petting, like all you know, drugged up. So that was the first day. It was fine. Then we get to the hotel. You oh, know. But before we get to the hotel, though, we get pulled over by a cop. Oh, yes, that's right. We get pulled <laughs> oh. over by a cop somewhere in the Shasta area. And the they're speed... like, do you have any cats? <laughs> well, this, uh, so he's we pulled me great. over for speeding. The speed limit was 55 if you're hauling a trailer. Mm -hmm. I thought it was 55 if you're a truck, like a semi truck. But it, so there's two signs. It's like semi truck. And then also if you just are hauling a trailer. All I saw was okay. truck. So I I kept going a little bit faster. So he clocked me at 72. And he's like, first of all, you're speeding. Second of all, why is she, she goes, in the back? She goes, what's happening back there? What's happening back there? So Ashley's out of the front seat. Trying to calm of, Una down. All of the back seats are, la are laid down flat. Mm -hmm. So the, the forerunner is just a flat bed behind us with oh, three God. cats. Oh, God. So she's unbuckled. Unbuckled. Yeah. With cats. With cats. Trying <laughs> yeah. to just keep them from freaking out. And yeah, so he was really nice. He's like, I should be writing you two tickets right now, but I'm not going to. I, I think like, my, my life's memoir, I'm going to name it Unbuckled with Cats. <laughs> anyway, you know, not to do like every detail of the trip because no one really cares. But th the point being, it was a long two days. The second day was much better. The cats finally acclimated to the road and it was mm -hmm. delightful. They were just napping on our laps it was it was what we had in our head mm -hmm. it was right. great so now we know we can do this you know they just need to be exposed to it i have um, to admit that the first part of your trip is more how i imagined driving with three cats to california yeah me too i but i just figured they would eventually i mean it's hours you can't keep up that mania for hours <laughs> they can end, but they did yeah <laughs> and eventually they, they stopped so that was good it was three solid hours of screaming so the, on the second day, you know, we've been driving all day. The second day, we're counting the exits at this point. We're, we're like, and it's actually kind of early. We're pulling in like 6.37 at night, something like that. Not and even. It was 5.30. Yeah, not even. But we're, we're thinking like by the time we unload, it'll be like 7. And uh -huh. we'll still have time to watch a movie. We're talking about what movie we want to watch. Yeah, you know, I know. We're going to order some food. <laughs> uh -huh. no. So when we pull up. It's a very hilly area that needs to be known. 
<laughs> so, and I'm with a trailer. We finally get the trailer to a good spot, but it's still kind of on a hill. Uh-huh. We, un- we unload all the suitcases to the, to the left and right of the Harley. And then it gets time to unload the bike. Keep in mind, oh, I've done this a bunch. Pretty fucking good at it. I know what I'm doing. And I go to turn on the engine because I need power because mm-hmm. I'm on a hill. So if I reverse mm-hmm. out, it's a 650 pound motorcycle. I have right. to get up the hill in first gear. Yeah. So it's, it's imperative that I have power. It is dead as a doornail. Oh no. No power. The battery's dead. And apparently the reason the battery is dead was because I didn't know this, but apparently you're supposed to put the motorcycle in transport mode. Because, it, well, there's like kind of a built-in anti-theft thing that if it gets wobbled while it's locked, it'll start flashing the hazards. Oh my gosh. So it was flashing hazards for two days straight. Shit. So I have, I mean, I, I have nothing on me. And I'm also on a hill with my hazards on, like <coughs> waving people past me. Yeah. Like, just fucking go around. I'm freaking out. And, and now the bike is a little bit out of the wheel chalk, the lock uh-huh. thing. So it's about a quarter of the way out of the trailer now. A Jesus. dead, just dead weight. And yeah. it was like, this is the worst. I don't want this to happen. I'm freaking out. I call Stefan Hawks, who's a, a friend of mine I grew up with, for those listening. He just happened to have moved down here a couple months ago. So he's five minutes away. I mean, literally mm-hmm. five minutes away. He gets here immediately. He brings jumper cables. He brings some, a tool set. We take apart the panel to get to the battery. And it couldn't be tougher to get to the battery. It's not oh like a God. car. It's not like a car. No. 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 And so the and terminals. It's up halfway inside a trailer. That's right. Yeah. So it's <laughs> right. in a trailer. We have no room. It's a five by eight trailer. The motorcycle <laughs> fits perfectly by like three inches. So we're mm-hmm. we're barely even fitting in there. We 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 give our best college try. We can't jump it. Then I remember I have a thing in my pocket called Harley Owners Group roadside assistance okay now i said what did i just say to you what did you hear harley's harley harley owners there it is roadside assistance something like that exactly but you got the first word right harley Uh uh-huh harley owner they just send out some guy some some guy in a fucking tesla shows up with a handful of tools he had never worked on a harley He, he had no idea how to get to the terminal so he was like, well, I know it's there, but we can't get to it without taking out the suspension, without taking out a bunch of cables and brake right. lines. And like, I ha- we're not doing that. <laughs> so he takes a screwdriver, like, you know, six inches long to get conductivity to the, the terminal, puts the red clamp on, <gasps> a, on a screwdriver. It's sparking everywhere. It's crazy. And we get the headlights to turn on and let... But the motor's like, tick, 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 not turning over. Tick, 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 yeah. tick, not turning over. Do that for over an hour. He finally gives up. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I can't help you. Um, you have to take it to the dealership. You know, good luck. Bye. And he leaves. Then that service sends out a second person. Same <sighs> thing happens. Armenian guy shows up, barely speaks English. He does the same shit. He gets a little bit closer, but still can't do it. So now we have this dead motorcycle. And luckily, Stefan and I had just muscled it back up into the lock. So now, okay. it's, so now at least it's safely in the trailer. Right. So, so that guy leaves. Ashley and I finally figured out how to back it into this very tight space of a carport on a hill. And then we realized the trailer doesn't quite fit. We realized this because it hit the carport. Because it hit the carport, <laughs> the, the top. No. We, Sorry, owner, if you're listening, we shaved off about an inch of wood. <laughs> Long story short, we figured out, we forgot to lower the trailer. We get it in the carport. But now, now I have a $20,000 motorcycle sitting in a trailer. Hi, Katie. With the with the hitch part pointing out towards the street. It's just oh in, inviting people to just back on up, take the trailer with a motorcycle. Yep. So I don't sleep at all, obviously. No. I wake up Sunday morning with it being my mission to get this bike started. So I can get it out of the trailer. I can mm-hmm. lock up the trailer properly. We can lock up the bike properly. We can finally be done. Also, this is my main mode of transportation when I'm down here for a month. Right. So it's imperative we get this thing going. 
So I call Ashley's stepdad, Don, and he is just a miracle worker. We do a bunch of FaceTime calls. He's really, really good with engines. He figures out, we, we just redneck it. Very similar. We're like, I get smaller cables to fit in between all that rat's nest. Then a tall Allen wrench clipped <laughs> out of that. And then another red cable to that. <laughs> and we just let that charge for like an hour. And then we just go out and cross our fingers. And luckily it started. But oh then we but then we couldn't get God. it out of the trailer. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So then it starts. And then Don is like, do Don't not turn, turn it, it off, off for like an hour. You're going to have yeah. to just rip around the neighborhood for a while. Get that battery charged. Don't right. turn it off. I'm like, okay, thanks. We got it started. Love you, Don. Have a good night. And then I try to pull it out. And now the trailer is on a hill, but in the other way. So it's pointing forward, <laughs> not in our favor. Yes, no. So now, now it's just a 650-pound bike and a very hot bike and a very hot trailer filled with exhaust. Yes. And we, me and Ashley cannot get it out. We're like, just yelling, push with a loud engine going, smoke everywhere. These, these new neighbors must have thought we were fucking insane. Yeah. So, so much noise. <laughs> so I call my friend Stefan again. I'm like, dude, remember the other night where well, I finally got it started? I can't turn the bike off because I need it to keep going and I need help getting it out. Can you come over again? So he comes over. He's somehow the strongest person he on the gorillas planet. gorillas it out of place. <laughs> In like 10 this seconds. This is not surprising to me. No, you've met him. Yeah, he's a big dude. I, yeah, growing up with him around, I could see it's not even just that he's a big dude. It's that he has a superhuman strength, I think. Oh, yeah. No. I, I can totally see that. Yeah, he, he could pick up a car if he wanted to. So he yeah. he single-handedly muscled the 650-pound <laughs> Harley out of the trailer. I back it up precociously. It was a whole thing. We finally, you know, it's all good. Now, so, okay, so that's the bike story. Then the next day. So then the next day, Monday, we wake up with a fresh perspective. We're settled yes. in. It's it's the yep. first work day. We're going. Uh, I'm running around, feeling the LA, taking meetings, feeling it, and and riding the bike. So then, after a nice long day, gonna, we get home. I'm starting to cook dinner. I'm yeah. like, oh my god, it's going to be like a real a real evening. Yeah. So we so we rent a movie. We we rent the um, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Which you ha- if you haven't seen that, that's that'll be my. It's pick. the Nick Cage movie. Okay. Oh, Sarah, okay. it's incredible. It's incredible. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. So okay. we rent a movie. She makes dinner. We sit down. We're like 30, 40 minutes into the movie. And Ashley's like... I'm going to go force Doris out of her hiding place. Yeah, where's Doris? Because she, she had this little hiding space in the closet. She's all, oh, no. she's oh, all no. freaked oh, out. No. And we can't find her. So we're like, huh. She must just be... She found another hiding space. So we look around. 15 minutes go by. We're like... Are you finding her? Nope. Huh. So we keep looking. Then we start like tearing the tearing place apart. The place apart. Lifting. Yeah. Ca- I mean, going to insane listening in places person. where you would never look. Yeah. The right. fucking oven and yep. uh-huh. behind the washer and dryer. Because now it's getting 30, 40 minutes into this and we haven't found her. And we're calling her. We're shaking treats. That would usually get her to come out. Totally. And then we remember that while Ashley was cooking, the house filled with smoke. And I had to open the door to fan out the smoke. Uh-huh. But I, but I stood guard. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a trained cat dad. I yes. know to not just open the door. No, you so guys I, are militant Yeah, we're, we're psycho people about our cats. So we, we, I looked at the cats as I was fanning it. And at one point, I saw doors beeline the other way. Not towards me, but the other way. Uh-huh. But, we, but there's nowhere else there's for nowhere her else to hide. To we have looked nowhere. every square inch of this house, and we can't find her. Call so, the owner. Well, before we call the owner, we, we oh. both agree she's probably outside. Yeah. Yeah. She had to have laser beamed past me and I didn't see it. In a neighborhood chock full of fast cars and coyotes. Yeah. Right. It's the Hollywood Hills. There's yeah. coyotes everywhere and cars everywhere. Cat nightmare. Cat nightmare. She doesn't have a collar. Doesn't have a, she's like, scared of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So then Ashley calls the owner. First, you call him to see if, because he has access to a front camera, to see if he saw our cat run out the door. He -hmm. didn't see anything. He's the sweetest person in the world. Him and his girlfriend come over to help. 
So now we have these two people we just met. It's his home that's ripped apart. It's torn apart. And yeah. he's he's couldn't be sweeter about it. He's a cat guy too. They've got two cats, no kids, two cats. They're like, oh, we get it. The girlfriend, she's like, I was ready to burn this house down to find that cat. <laughs> and and it gets weirder. She actually happens to own the house next door too. So he okay. owns this house. She owns the next house. She goes over to that house, informs them, hey, keep an eye out for this cat. She sends out picture. the alarm to all of her people on the Fredonia, the Fredonia crew. The Fr- she called it the Fredonia girls. The Fredonia girls. So there's like a, a cackling hand of old ladies that live around here. They were all, all they looking were all for like our cat. on it. Like they are on yeah. Finding Doris. Yeah. And meanwhile, me and Sam, the owner, and Ash are inside ripping the place apart just for the uh-huh. fifth time. And right. I'm like, Do, are there any crawl spaces? We go under the house. We go in the attic. We're looking oh everywhere. God. Everywhere. I put a cat box out with some of her litter in it, her favorite smells, her favorite toys, some food so yeah. outside in case she's mm-hmm. out there. Because she has to be out there. She has to at this point. We're like, there's no way. Anyway, long story short, we're, we're keep looking. Ashley. I come in <laughs> and I, I go to the fireplace where we've already checked many, yeah. many mm-hmm. times. And just basically throw my shoulder out, like getting back there and under. And I'm like, no, nothing, nothing. there. But at least it's hollow, but there's nothing in there. Do the same thing on the other side, fur. Oh. She's behind the fireplace in. Under and behind. Under and it's hard to explain. She's in a place that I, we don't have no idea how she got to it. And she wasn't <laughs> like. She wasn't responding. She would just shut it down. She's like, I am hiding. I don't care who you we are. We are inconsolable just at this like, point, by the way. This is the worst shit ever. She's gone. This is our worst nightmare. But then you found her. No, we found right her. Right in the middle of the room. Just right in the middle of the damn just living room. Just watching you lose <laughs> your shit for an hour. Uh, so, you know, it's like you say it out loud. It doesn't what, the sound motorcycle that bad. doesn't start? It's not that bad. You didn't, couldn't find your cat? It's not that bad. No, but it's three days of total chaos. Just and, chaos. And you're just in a new place. There's four. nowhere that's super comfortable. Yes. Yeah, four days of total chaos. Uh-huh. I'm having anxiety attacks, and I am on the maximum dosage of Zoloft already, so that's what's, that's what's happening yeah, there's with There's not me. a lot of room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so funny, because the other night I got home from work, and I was just like, okay, immediately I need fat pants. I need mm-hmm. to, you know, get, com- get comfy. I don't even look around the apartment. I walk in, I go straight to my bedroom and I open up, I've got a, like a little cupboard in my, my dresser has like a little door. Yeah. That's where I keep all my PJs. So I open the door and it's pitch dark in my room and I reach in to grab my pants and they're like not coming out. And I, what the hell is going on in here? And I yank a little bit harder and it's still not coming. And then I reach in further with my hand and it, is a warm, fuzzy body. <laughs> I don't know how long she had been in there, but she was inside with the door closed, yes. just chilling. <laughs> I I screamed. But yeah, Midge was keeping my pajamas warm for me. Well, that's nice of her. What a, what a lady. The thing is, yeah. if I had been looking for her, I would have gone through the exact same thing because right. she wasn't coming out. She was so happy just sitting in the dark in my room in a closed cupboard. I I don't even know when I would have found her. I know. God. They just disappear. She, well. and, and if I had been able to pull the pants out without like having any resistance, I wouldn't have known she was there. Close the door. She made absolutely no move to like, hi, I'm here. Welcome home, mom. Nothing. She's just like, can you leave me alone, please? I'm comfortable. (laughs) And then I scooped her out of there and shut the door. Like, it's almost like she knows. She just walked out of the, out of Kate's room. She knows. Started cleaning her butt. They know. Doris knew what she was doing. Well, anyway, the past few days have been great. I mean, yesterday was amazing. We had some friends take us out to dinner to a really nice Armenian place. Apparently, I love Armenian food. It was amazing. Really? So good. Don't so think I've good. ever had Armenian food. What is, what's it's, it? I mean, it's it's like Lebanese, Lebanese, but a little bit more okay. Middle Eastern-y. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. meat, but not a lot. Like I had a uh-huh. chicken kebab and then everything else is basically vegetarian. Like cool. uh, what was the... Um, Grilled feta, or what was it? Yeah, it was or the baked hot, feta. hot feta. Hot feta. Oh, oh yeah. my god! 
That sounds uh, heavenly. Just cheesy, potato-y, zesty, delicious goodness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's enough updates for you. And uh, we're happy to be here, though, and things are going great at this point. Well, yeah. you know, speaking of you being somewhere and me being somewhere... I hear, I hear something. Just in, it is 50 and light rain in Portland. And it is 70 degrees and sunny here in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> By the way, I didn't do not Disneyland. I don't know. Oh, what it's happened. okay. They, they get, get it. it. They, they know. know. So, Sarah, we can see Universal Studios from where we're sitting. There's a goddamn minion. We can see a minion. You can see the the Harry Potter castle from certain angles. I <laughs> That's mean, it's, amazing. You could almost throw a ball to it. That's how close we are. It's I can cool. see new seasons. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, man, LA is um, it's a wild place. There's just so much to do here, and we're so busy with with things to do, and we're loving it. Yeah, it's been great. Well, hey, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Brittany, one of our listeners. I was at work the other night and she came up to the bar and said, this might be weird, but are you Sarah? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh, yeah. From nice. Disney Dependent. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my God. And I recognized her, but I couldn't figure out how at first. And then she told me, she was like, yeah, I think I met either you or Ash at a Joann's like a long time ago. And I was like. Yes, I think it's the one and only time I ever actually had the balls to give someone a business card. And it was because she was with a friend and she had like the um, Disneyland jersey on and she had mm-hmm. a Disney backpack. And I was like, you're our people. Hell and yeah. Sure enough, she is our people. She said Dude. she's still listening and she couldn't have been sweeter. She was there with her, I assume, husband and kids and I didn't actually get to really talk to her at all because I was bartending. I was trapped behind the bar, but um, it was so nice. And hello, Brittany. Thank you so much for making my day and making me feel like I'm some weird celebrity. (laughs) I didn't know how to handle it. I was like, (laughs) 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 thank you for saying hi. And then she left and I was like, I just got recognized. Like I was was a celebrity. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Remember when I made myself a celebrity and handed you a business card? Yeah, that was me. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you for listening to the show, Brittany. Yeah. And if you see us in the wild, come Come recognize. <laughs> yeah, if you happen to be in LA in the next month. <laughs> Today, we're talking about the inspiration behind Sarah's favorite place to grab a Manhattan while in the parks. Yay! That's right. We're talking about the history of the Carthay Circle Theater. And next week, we'll talk about how this Golden Age movie palace helped to make Disney what it is today. But first, let's travel back in time, a hundred years ago, to the Roaring Twenties. Actually, that's Thirties. Yeah. No, it's like wah 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 wah. I got a nickel in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> let's fall in love. Yeah. By the way, I love thinking of songs back then. Like that was a single. You know, that was the hot <laughs> single back yeah. then. Wah 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 I can hear it, but I can't do it at all. Like, not yeah, at all. Right. <laughs> you did it. That's it. No, it's not, though. It sounds like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 1920s were a major turning point in L.A. history. Um, ample employment opportunities enticed massive waves of immigration, notably from the rural Midwest and mm. from Mexico. The city's population doubled in size between 1920 and 1929 from about 600,000 to over 1.2 million people. Wow. In nine years. Crazy. And life was becoming more modern with a dramatic increase in automobile usage, a vast suburban sprawl, and a boom in the banking, real estate, and entertainment industries. The Hollywood film industry dominated the then-silent movie industry, and eight major Hollywood studios produced 90% of all major movies. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Now, let's go to the intersection of Wilshire Boulevard and San Vicente. Okay. Oh, I can smell the flowers. Mm -hmm. Smell the Mm -hmm. diesel. (laughs) (laughs) At this point in time, this area was considered both 
the western gateway of the city, and the Styx. Wow. It is way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I was... No uh, diesel. I no was diesel. just... The other day, I was watching a thing on YouTube, and it was a time lapse of the Los Angeles area map. And mm-hmm. it started in like the late 1800s till today. And it was crazy how not that long ago, a lot of this was all just farms. Like right. downtown LA was a, was farmland. There's a ranch there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Who Olympic had it was just bean fields. Right. <laughs> um, so this is where we meet a man named John Harvey McCarthy, for whom Carthay Circle is named. Oh. Yep. Uh, he was an interesting fella. And note, for this section on J. Harvey McCarthy, I'm citing, sometimes in their own words, one main source, KCET, the public media group of Southern California. So just covering my bases right there. Okay. Okay. From an early age, J. Harvey was a person that people seemed to want to punch. (laughs) In 1891, a college-aged Jay Harvey was arraigned for having impersonated a police officer during a horse smuggling deal on the Mexican border. Oh, my God. (laughs) Fabulous. Awesome. Jay Harvey was ultimately acquitted, but a couple of months later, he was involved in some kind of kidnapping case that he also got out of, perhaps with the help of his influential father. His father was a key figure in California history, one of the original Gold Rush 49ers. Wow. Daniel O'Connell McCarthy. He was born in North Carolina in 1830, the son of Irish immigrants who claimed to be descended from the kings of Ireland. Okay. I wonder if that's true. The family moved to Mississippi and then Texas during the 1840s. By the way, 1840s in the South. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So while Danny O was working as a merchant in San Antonio, the reportedly handsome and charismatic young man caught gold fever. In 1850, he led a group of fellow dreamers across the desolate Southwest to the foot of the Sierra Nevadas. And after a stint as a miner, he worked as a merchant in Sonora, but became increasingly disturbed with the town's growing Confederate sympathies. Wow. Having seen the effect of slavery firsthand, he sought to fight the pro-South trend by starting one of the state's first papers, the American flag. He moved that paper to the more progressive and sophisticated San Francisco, where Mm -hmm. it became an important instrument for political reform. And he used it to crusade for women's suffrage and to fight against legislative corruption. So D.O. McCarthy is a super fascinating character. I could go on about him forever. But let's get back to his wily son, Jay Harvey. Hmm. (laughs) Jay Harvey McCarthy was a ruthless dreamer, a man with big ideas and evidently very few scruples. From early on, he was in love with the rich history of California and was determined to be a pioneer in his own way. And his way was real estate. Cool. He started a corporation called Pioneer Investment and Trust. And his ruthless nature followed him. And in 1903, fellow stockholders accused him of stealing total control of the company by issuing hundreds of shares of stock to himself and his cronies (laughs) and entering it into the books as, quote, paid out for advertising. (laughs) It was also alleged that they kept two sets of books. Um, And so to avoid the inevitable scandal, Jay Harvey agreed to a cash settlement with his accusers. However, on the day that payment was due, Harvey was nowhere to be found. You get a feeling for who this guy is now. Yeah. So he's a winner. Yeah, he's a a (laughs) go-getter. Several lawsuits were filed in the L.A. Superior Court, and during the first trial, McCarthy would sit and listen as countless witnesses swore against his character. But something changed in 1919 when his father, D.O., passed away. A new J. Harvey began to emerge, the innovative community builder he always wanted to be. And in 1921, he began developing a large tract of land in Glendale and then another 60-acre tract in, uh, at the Western and Santa Monica Boulevard. So he's turning it around and building out uh, Los Angeles. Right, right. But a 60-acre... Let's see. So in Glendale, 60 acre at Western. That's so crazy to imagine. Yeah. And this is in what year? 1919 or 1921. Uh, so yeah. insane how fast Los Angeles has grown since that time. 
Yeah. And here's a quote from him at the time. He says, quote, the good of the whole community should be the first consideration of everyone who desires to see Los Angeles grow, not merely in population and commerce, but in finer things that distinguish a city with a soul from a mere collection of people and buildings. This totally plays into Carthay Circle and the theater that he builds later. Right. And it's, it is a neighborhood still to this day. Yep. Um, so his greatest project of his life, and the reason that we're covering him today, was to be the Carthay Center. And mm. the Carthay Circle Theater was just one component of that historic development. Okay. In 1922, Jay Harvey purchased 136 acres of land running down Wilshire Boulevard between Fairfax Avenue and Beverly Hills. The land had been a passenger airplane flying field. <laughs> Jay Harvey planned to create a model California community, the ideal upper middle class residential area of Los Angeles. Wow. So it's I so weird. I think how, he did that, didn't I he? I think he did it. I mean, the Carthay <laughs> Circle area is like towards Beverly Hills. Like, yeah, you just said that. That's so crazy. And that, like, one of the my, one of my favorite things about Southern California and LA County in general is how this is it's good and bad. But there's only like a handful of families that built this place up. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, we're going to talk about some pretty of them. nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this uh, community that he was going to build would be complete with the first underground utilities in all of Los Angeles. Mm. So no more unsightly wires everywhere right Mm -hmm. um an electric rail stop and ornamental street lighting Mm. but this thoroughly modern neighborhood would also be steeped in california history jay harvey was obsessed with it so the ramona chapter of the native sons and daughters of the golden west helped him to honor the pioneers that paved his way all the new streets were named after notable past californians for instance and for this next section, I found an old article from CarthayCircle.org that mm-hmm. was like an original piece from a long time ago. And I was like, oh, God, this is so good. I love um, original documentation. She's yes, rubbing, she does. She's rubbing she her is. hands together. Like she's, smithers. She's <laughs> so excited about the <laughs> shit like this. Okay. For instance... Carrillo Drive was named for Don Jose Antonio Carrillo, who was born in San Francisco in 1705. He fought for the Californios in the mm. Mexican-American War of 1845. Wow. His claim to fame was his trickery during a battle near Palos Verdes. His army was smaller than the American army that they were fighting, mm-hmm. but he and his men had the horses gallop in a circle, stirring up a lot of dust to make it look like there was a huge threat there for them and so the yankees Mm -hmm. retreated oh wow so that's one of the streets that jay harvey put in this area it's so crazy how there was a war here in california and we just stole it from mexico yeah we do that (laughs) oh man it's obscene it's insane um, there's also Moore Drive for Benjamin Moore, who was born in Alabama in 1824. He fought against the Californios during the Mexican-American War. Right. He was a member of the first California legislature and actually helped frame the state's constitution. But he was also an uncle to J. Harvey McCarthy. And supposedly, wow. he once jumped into a bull ring and killed the bull with a bowie knife. Oh, well, I mean, that's going to happen. Why? Dude. Why? Because Chill you're out. bored. It's, it's the a... American spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Well, he died in battle by the hand of Andres Pico in Stockton in 1865. So you said he Probably had died in the battle. Best. If you had said he died in battle by the hand of a bull, I would that would have been, been so true much justice. Happier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like jeez. Um, there's Schumacher Drive. So John Schumacher was a gold prospector during the big gold rush days of the mid-1800s. Later, he became involved with and was responsible for the inception of the California grape growing industry without using irrigation. So wow. thank you, Mr. Schumacher, for all of your beautiful wine. We drove through all of that, too. And the California raisins. Yeah, we, we avoided. <laughs> so we, that's right. We saw a California raisins billboard. Yeah. Did you really? I was like, look, it's CalRab. <laughs> Well, Sarah, you know, like, so we stayed in Sacramento and I'm sure you remember that drive that it's, it's just Mm -hmm. flat and cows and ranches for his, for hours and hours. Smells like literal shit. Yeah. Well, right about there. So we wake up the next morning. We see that there's a flood warning down like hours and hours down the way on I-5 South. 
So we avoid that route and take the alternate route of like 99 South or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it takes you through like Stockton and Fresno and stuff. But that is even more rural. Most of California is just farms and vineyards and right. nothing. So it was pretty cool to see actually. Because I had never been down there. Um, San Vicente Boulevard um, originally at the time was named uh, Eulalia Boulevard after a midwife. So Eulalia Perez was born in what is now the Baja Peninsula of Mexico to Diego Perez, a Spanish ship captain. According to family lore, Captain Perez taught his daughter how to read and write, a fact that becomes very important to her later prominence. At the ripe old age of 15, she married a Spanish army sergeant named Miguel, and this is how she gets to SoCal. So Miguel was assigned to the San Diego Presidio, so they moved from Baja to the garrison at the new Mission San Gabriel with their children. Miguel sadly died in action at the garrison, but Perez managed to obtain employment at the mission, initially as a cook and then as a midwife for all of the missionaries. And then she was eventually made the keeper of the keys for the entire mission itself, which was a really big deal. What does that mean? It means you're like the manager of the entire structure. I'd be the keeper of the keys. <laughs> that sounds like too much pressure. Actually, yeah, that's way too administrative for me. <laughs> I would lose, lose the keys. I would lose all the keys. <laughs> like, why did we make James the keeper of the keys? <laughs> he can't even remember his own goddamn key. Well, eventually she retired and the Mexican governor awarded her with 14,000 acres of land. What? In what is now the present day cities of Pasadena, South Pasadena, and San Marino. So, okay, I was just in South Pasadena yesterday. It's beautiful. If you've ever seen the show Shrinking, thank you, Sarah, that's where that's based. And it's just gorgeous. But it's, it's a good reminder that someone owned that yeah some person. a lot of different people owned it at different times i wonder too. i wonder if these families they had to have just made well you hope they made gobs of money well um because you know real estate in california is not cheap well the rules in the new alta california leadership at the time said mm. that women can't actually own property in their own name oh that's neat so she got married aha i see to a retired Mexican artillery lieutenant named Juan. Wait, I thought she was married at 15. She died. She was, but Miguel uh, died. Oh, he yeah. died. Yeah. Right, Miguel died. So she married Juan so that she could own that land in his name. Okay. Um, but according to family lore, Juan and his sons lost all of her land immediately by gambling. Oh awesome. my God. So Pasadena was lost to a gamble. Yeah. Well, in another story, one of Juan's sons was an active soldier and couldn't take charge of the rancho, so he sold it off. So mm. it's not entirely sure what happened to it. Regardless, Eulalia got fucked. Yeah. Yeah, truly. I was just thinking how many phases of Southern California, really LA in general, there have been. Mm-hmm. Obviously, back before this story, it was Mexican land. Mm-hmm. And even before that, and even during that, a lot of native land, this too. This was native land. Yeah, this specifically, specifically was native land. Yeah. And then after that, it's like the Wild West, where the white settlers moved west. And then it became like the, the beginning of the the industry, the film industry, the, the Charlie Chaplin and all that stuff. And it's just, it's gone from these moments in time. And then it's like this, the biggest sprawl on the planet is Los Angeles mm-hmm. County. There's 20 million people here. Mm-hmm. There's more people in California than the entire country of Canada. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's something like the sixth largest economy in the world. So it's something like that. It's insane. And uh, I, I, I like a lot of people in the story. I'm also obsessed with the history of California. Specifically it's, it's Southern so interesting. California. It's once so I, interesting. Once I started, I was like, I can't stop. This no. was originally going to be half of an episode, and then it was a full episode. Yeah. And then I'm like, I have to split it into two. No, it, it is everything. <laughs> it's it, bonkers. It, yeah, I mean, and California represents so many different things to so many different people. Mm-hmm. If I were to say Southern California in one person, they'll think surfers. Or they'll right, think yeah. celebrities or Disneyland. Well, and all of this is just centering around one landmark that right. we mm-hmm. enjoy in our parks now. Right. 
It's just, that's crazy. Um, so Eulalia died in the Los Angeles area in 1878. Her death certificate located in the Santa Ana courthouse records supposedly say that she lived to be 140 years old. I mean, that's obviously not oh. true. Okay. Um, but right. descendants, for the most part, agree on a more conservative figure, like 110 or 112, which is still nuts. Okay. So she, yeah. the time. she got fucked over a bit, but she is a fighter. Right. <laughs> Clearly. So next time you're driving down San, uh, San Vicente, just think that's actually Eulalia's road. Okay. Wow. Um, next up, not a street, but a statue. The bronze figure that now sits in a park-like area at McCarthy Vista and San Vicente Boulevard is a long-haired and booted uh, man. Formerly, a small stream of water poured from his gold pan into a boulder, and that granite boulder, which weighs 13 tons, was named for Jedediah Strong Smith, a fur trapper, scout, and pathfinder for the Rocky Mountains. Smith was the first white man to reach California by a cross-continental route in 1826, and that boulder was brought from the Cajon Pass near the old trail that Smith himself blazed. Wow. So super, just kind of a fun little thing. Yeah. Um, another statue was dedicated to the men of the first gold, gold rush. It was actually fashioned to look like Daniel O. McCarthy, a 49er in his own right. Um, nearby, a sequoia tree was planted in memory of Snowshoe Thompson, a pioneer of the Postal Service. James, I thought of you so much with this. So he's a pioneer of the Postal Service who traveled the mountains in homemade snowshoes My God. in order to <laughs> deliver mail to the gold miners in the mountains and other impossible locations. Dude. It's the so postman. Just, yeah, it's the postman. But interesting. With tennis rackets on his feet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, and also driving through the passes... I mean, the Oregon-California border is crazy. Imagine crossing that on foot or on I a know. horse. Nope. I know. And then, and that's not it. And then you get through and like you hit weed and all those areas. It's still woodsy and mountainy. And then there's Shasta. I mean, there was snow on the ground when mm -hmm. we were driving yeah. through. It was everywhere. It's a, it's a very, very diverse state. And the fact that- Pre-highways. Pre-highways, <laughs> that's right. The fact that anyone was doing anything out here back then is pretty Kudos impressive. to you, yeah. yeah. Um, but back to Carthay Center, the subdivision in itself. So according to leading architects, landscape architects, and city planners, Carthay Center was considered, quote, one of the finest examples of subdivision planning that Los Angeles and Southern California possesses. Ah. Very high praise. Wow, wow, wow. The neighborhood was built up with mini Mediterranean villas and more spacious Spanish colonial homes. Later on, an apartment building was added at the intersection of Commodore Sloat Drive and Olympic Boulevard. Um, around the World War II era housing shortage, they had to just, there were these ordinances in place that they had to be like really specific styles and it had to be single family units. Mm -hmm. but then World War II era happened and they're like, we need to fit people in here. So they finally started building up. Wow. Um, land was donated for a public elementary school and a small church, both facing Olympic Boulevard. Um, by the way, Olympic Boulevard was named that in 1930 after the Olympics were held in Los Angeles. I forget what it was called before that. I think it was like oh. old country road or something like that. Really? I didn't know that. Um, there was a gas station at the corner of Schumacher Drive and Olympic and a service station on Commodore Sloat Drive. There was a small market, a bank, a cleaner, a two-story business structure, a restaurant, and a beauty shop, all in close proximity to that theater, with walkways and lots of little lovely grassy areas in between. And all of this was carefully designed to provide convenience to the Circle's residents. Total planned community. Yeah. No, it, it's. I've actually driven through there. It's really, really gorgeous. I, I mean, it. something I love about Walt Disney is that he... He loved Los Angeles. He loved Southern California a lot. And he brought that look and feel into the parks. So if you like Main Street, I mean, obviously Main Street is supposed to be more like the Midwest. But right. like the lampposts, the, the, uh, the flagpole at the front of the park, the base of that flagpole is a Los Angeles County uh, lamppost. Mm -hmm. That one, one of the construction workers happened to see a, a, a car wreck. And the mm -hmm. post was on the ground like, Hey, can we source that for the parks? Yeah. So a lot, anyway, a lot of that look in, in, um, including Carthay came from the LA surrounding areas 
look and feel and vibe from people like this. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then there was the Carthay Circle Theater itself, which was the crown jewel in the center of this entire subdivision. I was just looking at pictures of it. It's so pretty. It's so pretty yeah. and so, oh man. And it's exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it right now. I mean, it's Disneyland, but in yeah. real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, the theater was envisioned as a tribute to the founders and pioneers of California. It was designed to recall the state's mission heritage, mm-hmm. including an illuminated Spanish-style tower. The theater became known as the showplace of the Golden West. Its glittering sign, iconic octagonal bell tower, and sweeping floodlights could be seen from afar and served as the backdrop for a number of Hollywood premieres that rivaled that of Grauman's Chinese Theater at the time. Why does it say Fox Carthay Circle back then? Do we know that? Is that something? No, just I think it just depends on which decade that is. It, Fox must have owned like the like Fox, production the rights there or something. Okay. Yeah. Um, much like the circle, the theater itself celebrated early California. In the lobby hung a painting, which was California's first theater, depicting the Eagle Theater built in Sacramento in 1849. Wow. Um, it also had a 70-foot drop screen, which was intended to prevent fires at the time. I'm thinking of Inglorious Bastards right now. Uh, <laughs> yep, what, totally. What's the name of the, the film that's very flammable? Uh, like cel- oh, celluloid, celluloid. celluloid yeah. or something like that? Um, and so for this 70-foot drop screen, a prominent artist was hired to paint a mural of a family crossing the Sierra Nevadas on the screen. Mm. And if you look into this, it's the Donner Party. No way. <gasps> yeah. That's a weird choice. Yep. The Carthay Circle Theater was completed in 1926, and it opened with its first concert in 1927. Oh, they had live music there, too. Yeah. Yeah. At first, yeah. And then, of course, you know, the talkies took over. The talkies took over, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Despite criticism from the community that the theater's distance from most L.A.'s residential neighborhoods was too big... Um, remember, this was in the sticks still. Right. It's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, despite that, the shows consistently sold out from the first screening, and quickly it became one of the most famous movie palaces of its day. Mm-hmm. Throughout Los Angeles, there are many who remember the dazzling film premieres during the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, which were staged with fanfare and spotlights, heralding the event as movie stars stepped down from their limousines onto the red-carpeted theater entrance. Cool. But as the theater was torn down in 1969, you can imagine that there were some lean times ahead. There had been a very strange lease agreement drawn in the 30s stipulating that the lease would remain effective so long as a ticket a day was sold in the box office. Oh, wow. <laughs> a gent named A.E. Weatherby served oh. as the ticket... Wait, 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 wait. One more time with that name? A.E. Weatherby. That's a great old-timey yep. name. You're going to like Everyone him. just went by their initials back I then. I know. Yeah. We got D-O and J-L or... J whatever. Harvey. J, yeah. What do people that know him call him? Do they call him A-E or they call him... I'm sure they call him by his actual name. Arthur or whatever it is. Yeah. J-I Macmillan. J-I yep. Macmillan, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to like Weatherby. Okay, so he was he was the ticket agent every day and... Sometimes he sat in the audience during those lean times. So per a fascinating story that I found from the LA Times from 1983, quote, in order to retain that lease through five lean years with no entertainment was booked for the house, A.E. Weatherby, a tall, thin man of serious character and tremendous determination, (sighs) appeared at the theater each morning to comply with the lease law. Letting himself into the box office, Weatherby removed his hat and opened the ticket window for business. That being done, he strode around to the front, announcing into an empty cubicle that he wished for one ticket, please. (laughs) At, (laughs) at, At times, in a facetious mood, he would put down a $1 bill, return to the box office and make change, and thrust the ticket through the window. (laughs) <laughs> That's such an A.E. Weatherby thing to do. Right, right. It's so A.E. That's so A.E. Weatherby would then proceed into the theater, chop his ticket at the door, and drop the torn stub into the receptacle, what? retaining the other for his legal protection. Settling himself into a lone seat in the dimly lit auditorium, he would listen for 10 or 15 minutes while an organist stroked the console. 
the solemn duty performed, Weatherby would lock up the theater before leaving. Wow. It's a <laughs> determined that, guy. That kept it in business for a while. I mean, what's the point? I mean, it came back after that. Just to keep the doors open. Yeah. Because he trusted that it would come back. Yeah. Wow. What year was that? Um, I don't know. I couldn't find an actual year of that. Okay. Had to have been before the, the, the heyday of the talkies and stuff, right? It was, I think it was later on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Shoes of the Fisherman is the last film that was shown. Oh, I love Shoes of the Fisherman. That's I my know. favorite movie. Those are some stinky shoes. <laughs> some you tell stinky shoes. Man, when the fisherman shows up and he's got his shoes on, I love like, that part. It's my favorite part. Such a, man, <laughs> then he takes fine. them off. He takes them credits off. Credits roll. Yeah. He <laughs> uses his shoes as zooms bait. Zooms in on the shoes. <laughs> well, that epic film was the last one to be shown before the wrecking crew moved in to dismantle no. the white and blue concrete structure with its multicolored tiled high tower. Oh. Most sad. Of, so sad. And most of the residents of Carthay Circle still mourn the loss of their beloved landmark, the grand old Carthay Circle Theater, which stood at Carrillo Drive and San Vicente Boulevard, and for 40 years was one of Los Angeles's prime entertainment centers. Wow. And in its heyday of the 1920s and 30s, it was a favorite of our good friend, Mr. Walt Disney, who yeah. held... He yeah. held the red carpet premiere of his groundbreaking feature-length animated film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, there on December 21st, 1937. And that's where we'll pick back <gasps> up next week. Ooh, <laughs> setting it up. So you guys you have no idea how desperate I am right now to be standing in front of the Carthay Circle I Lounge. Know. <laughs> like, just ready to go in and get that Manhattan. Seriously, we're going on the 20th. And I'm like, I don't know. Well, no, we're not because we're not going into DCA on the 20th. Oh, is it just Disneyland? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Damn. Oh, well. We're doing the throw. Did we tell you that? We're doing throwback night. Oh, yeah. 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 It's going to be pretty fun. Mm -hmm. um, before I forget, the rest of my sources were Attractions Magazine, The Los Angeles Conservancy, TouringPlans.com blog, The History of the Carthay Circle, and CarthayCircle.org. If, if it wasn't CarthayCircle.org, if you didn't use that as a reference, I would have been very surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were great. They were great. Yeah, not I love... .net. No, no never. Screw the .net, boys. They was getting in the way. I'm a .org kind of guy. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, good job, Ash, as always. And I really love these stories. I, I'm really digging this, like, peel the, the layer of the onion back and, and find the history of the history. Like, yeah. instead mm -hmm. of just talking about why Walt Disney chose this building or, you know, the name of it, go, go back a bit. There's, there's so much to these stories that I, I just, I'm... I could totally seriously keep going it. further back and further back. I am such a dork. This yeah. is, I mean, we're officially entering Professor Ash instead of Producer Ash. I'm just yeah. nerding out. She, you are a history major after yes, all. Yes, I am. Yes. So I got to tell you guys that I've been listening to last podcast. Finally, mm. James is wearing his shirt right now. Um, I've been listening to, I'm almost done with the third episode of the um Gilles de Ray. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Crazy, about right? The, like the first documented serial killer. Mm-hmm. He's a real oh, son of a bitch. What a scumbag. Yeah. But I, the, you guys have talked about how we are them. I can't figure out who is who yet, but I know obviously the guy who's telling everything is Ash. What's his yeah. name? Marcus. 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 Marcus and then, Parks. The guy who's got like the louder laugh and he's like, that's James. Yeah. And then, and then I'm the one that does all the stupid voices. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, Ben, that's Ben. Ben, so the okay. shirt, the shirt, that's Henry. Okay. That's Marcus. Yep. That's Ben. That's exactly And the what reason I was you're thinking. like Ben, Ben is the one that shows up. He doesn't do any research. Nope. And that, but it works because then Marcus is telling him the story. Right. Henry has some idea. Yes. And it's his job to insert fart jokes, and him and Ben just riff off that the way you and I do. So it is very, very similar. He just kept saying, Show me the titties. Yes. And <laughs> I was like, I I feel like this is if I just keep listening, I'm gonna understand them more, but it's yeah. still funny. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, a, it's a great podcast. It's a super big inspiration for us. Might I recommend yeah. that when you're done with Gilles DeRay, do the Donner Party. Oh, okay. yeah. Done. Oh, yeah. In that podcast, you can go back years and it holds mm-hmm. up. They do the whole Mormon uh, coverage, yeah. Scientology, uh-huh. every cult that's ever come out. Um, they did uh, Billy the Kid. Every once in a while, they'll do kind of non-horror, non-sci-fi you know, stuff. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just as good as any of the other ones. But I totally, I can see where the inspiration comes from. Like, yeah. Ash, you are Marcus. Yes. In yes. so many ways. Like, still very, very funny, but also, like, well-researched. Prepared. You're doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. You come in with an actual story to tell us. James, you at least kind of know what's going on because you live with her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you That's plug the only stuff, reason. <laughs> but you also plug all the shit in. You know mm-hmm. what you're doing on that end. You're the one dealing with, you know, Deanna and all of this stuff. I literally just show up. I had no idea what we were talking about today until you told me. But that's me. so fun. But, but Sarah. Yeah. But you're the audience. You're the only one with a headset and you have a, a ring light on you. Yeah, so I do. I do. Pro. And that, again, is not mine. <laughs> and nor does it translate to this audio-based show. Yes, no. Sarah is radiant right now. She looks just amazing so you know. right now. Josh set me up with all of his stuff. He, he snagged a laptop from work and then connected it to his big screen. So now I have two screens. Hmm. I don't need either of them. And go. a table and a headset and a ring light. I don't need the ring light and it, in fact it's driving me crazy it's way too bright <laughs> it's very distracting it's like well, looking into headlights you look magnificent i agree thank you i agree should we do some media recs let's Hell do it yeah let's do it i will kick us off um i haven't mentioned little america yet have i i don't think so okay i am 99 percent sure it's on apple I could be very wrong. Okay. As we've said before, this is not a facts-based nope. podcast. It's on you to find so out. I'm throwing that out. Little America. Very cool. It's just like 30-minute episodes of, that are all directed by different people that are like stories of an immigrant. Ooh. Some of them are like showing them from when they first came to the U.S. and then like followed them all through their life. Some of them are very, very like heartwarming and inspirational. And some of them are literally just a snapshot in the life of an immigrant. And it's so well done. I love that every single episode, it's different people. Yeah, I, I that love sounds it. sounds awesome. It I, is Apple favorite, TV. Okay, yeah. My favorite one is the one with the girl. She's like a high school student living in the U.S. from Mexico. Uh, she's an undocumented kid. And she's this like wonderful kid at home, you know, she's helping out. She's Mm -hmm. her mom works full time, her and her brother and her mom all share basically a room that is actually a garage. It's like very, very real. But then she goes to school and she's a total shithead. You know, she's like in trouble all the time. And, you know, she's just she's your typical teenager who just doesn't give a shit about school. And she doesn't need to because. What, what's she going to do with that, right? She's an undocumented kid living mm. in the U.S. Why do I need a college or, you know, a high school education? I can't get into college. I can't do anything with this, that kind of thing. Wow. Well, and she doesn't necessarily say that. I just know that from having worked in schools, that that is the attitude you get from some of these kids where it's just like, what's the point? What's the point? But she starts playing pickleball. Wait, pickleball? Nope. Squash at this okay. gym and she ends up going to the Olympics. Oh, wow. I think I might be wrong. I don't remember if she goes to the Olympics, but she does something with squash and she like becomes famous for squash. Oh, and wow. She, I know she trains people and it's like current day. Is squash the one where you're doing that. Sarah is squash the one where you're using the walls around. You? Yeah. It, it's like yeah. a, it's like racquetball, but the ball is like squishy. So okay. it, it moves fast, but it's a different kind of ball. Sure. Like, very different. And how and do it, I feel about this, guys? Too you don't many know. games. Make Too many one. games with, with rackets and balls. Tennis, pickle, p- 
pickleball, squash, racquetball. Two, what's the the birdie? The one with the the Bad soft. Men. Make them all one, man. <laughs> Here's the thing, James. If you made them all one, you wouldn't be able to call it a birdie. You and and that's you know what? fine by me. That's Ten, not tennis. actually. It's its real name is a shuttlecock. You yeah, should enjoy that. Pisses me off even more. Proves my point even more. Just tennis. That's it. If I were king, <laughs> tennis. That's the only racket and ball-based sport you get to do. Sarah, speaking of shuttlecock and James, um, there was... Ooh. There's, <laughs> Where is this going? There's a part of Ooh. the flooring here that has like a kind of like a, a knot of wood in it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And James goes, huh, I'm looking at this and it looks like... It looks like a dick and balls, but also kind of like a heart. And I was like, James, have you ever heard of a Rorschach test? You're just seeing what you want to see. <laughs> it objectively looks like a funny dick and balls. I'll send you guys a picture. Please. You guys being the audience. I need a, I, You're going to send it to each and yep. everyone. Send in your phone number. James yep. will text it to you from his personal phone. It's a new service we provide. <laughs> Well, thanks for the pick, Sarah. It is Apple TV. That sounds lovely. My pick this week is, again, the movie we tried to watch all the way through. We eventually did. We eventually finished it after finding our cat. It is called (laughs) The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It's starring Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. Okay. And also that uh, Sharon Horgan. Yeah. Love her. I know you do. Love. Yeah, that's great. Many other people, too. So the... (laughs) It is incredible, Sarah. This movie is one of the funniest self-deprecating movies. So it's Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. And when you say Nick Cage, you're Nicholas talking Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Okay. Cage playing Nicholas Cage in a in a movie where he is himself the actor Nicholas Cage. Okay. And, and he gets hired to go to a birthday party. Yeah, like his career is not what it once was and he needs money. It's very self-deprecating. He knows exactly who he is. He knows mm-hmm. how funny he is to other people. Mm-hmm. He knows how wacky he can be. And he just plays it up perfectly. It is it is a masterpiece of a movie. And it's, I mean, ultimately, it's like a bromance. It's, it's like a so romantic cute. comedy. And the two of them together are, I mean, just doing They're, this. Just like clasping this won't ruin my anything. heart. This won't ruin anything. Basically, <laughs> Nick Cage is supposed to... There, there are two people, um, CIA agents. Yeah, but you don't want to give too much out. Yeah. Like b- basically, Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal's character—they're not supposed to want to be so close to each other. Uh huh. They're kind of supposed to be adversaries. They're supposed to be against each other. But Pedro Pascal—they just a, like each other. A so Nick much. Cage super fan. <laughs> so he hires friends. him to be at his birthday. <laughs> yeah, they're just buddies, and they like trade shoes and like. It's the cutest. Anyway, it is hilarious. You guys, like, guaranteed you and Josh will like this movie. Okay. It, that is a flat-out guarantee. Yeah. Done. Check it out. You got anything, Josh? Love it. Um, my animal hero of the week is my new squirrel friend that I made here. Oh, yeah. Yay. Her name is Holly. She is kind of beefy. Why is, why is her name Holly? Because we're in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And we're actually she's in Studio City. But excessively whatever. demanding of food, and I love her for it. Good. She literally good was climbing on the windowsill and pawing at the window. Yeah, she's a big girl too. She's yeah, big. yeah. <laughs> she spots a squirrel feeder. Oh, she knows she me. Knows. It didn't take Ashley long. We're in Los no. Angeles, and she's outside playing with squirrels and birds. I've and been bringing dirt. her produce every day. Yeah, good for you, Sarah. You I can't really that. see it very well, but. Behind us is a huge yard. Now you can't see it at all. I kind it, of can. I'll I'll send you a picture later. It's a, a yeah. huge, huge upward sloping front yard that goes to the carport and street level up top, and it's great. It's wonderful. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think we did it, guys. We entertained the masses one more time. Sarah. Well, James, I will see you on Saturday because I'm coming down there for our cousin's wedding. Yes, that's right. So I will see you. I won't Second see Ash because she's going to see last podcast on the left. <laughs> By the way, I just <laughs> realized there's also a sticker on one of the microphones. that's last podcast. Yeah. You guys are super fans. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Disney dependent. See, see you real soon. soon.
You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Disney Dependent. And you can send us an email at DisneyDependent at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Producer Ash. The logo is by Ryan Hatch, and you can find him at WR Hatch on Instagram. The music is by Ryan Knowles, and you can find him at Ryan Allen Knowles on Instagram. This show is mixed and edited by Deanna Chapman. You can find Deanna at Deanna underscore Chapman. And this has been a Team Dynamite Goat production. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show and we'll be back here next week.